Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Manaja Chiba, and I'm Gibbs faculty. On behalf of the Entrepreneurship Development Academy and JP Morgan, welcome to part eight of our Small Business Survival Toolkit. Today, we're really going to be looking at restructures and retrenchments. As we've gone from part one to today, we've been providing you with some real tools to keep small businesses surviving. Today, we'll be talking about the restructures and retrenchments with an executive from LabourNet, who I'll introduce to you shortly. Just to please remind you that we've still got our book giveaway for the most interesting comment that you'll be able to put together. Please place your comments and your questions for our speaker today at below the video. And then if you need any assistance afterwards, please feel free to e email smmehelp at gibbs.co.za. So without further ado, it's my great pleasure to welcome Lauren Spence from LabourNet today. Uh, Lauren's got over 15 years of experience in industrial relations as well as employee relations. So I think we're in really good hands to understand the next key tool, or as I put it, the next key ingredient in our toolkit that we're putting together over these few weeks. So welcome, Lauren, and thank you for spending time with us Thank today. you, Manoj. Thank you. Good afternoon. So today, as Manoj correctly said, I want to take us through restructuring and retrenchments. So as a business owner, as a SMME, I know that the last few months must have been very hard. If I think back of the first COVID case at Hita Shaw, it feels like years ago, and you cannot believe it was only March. So I just want to, before I go into the depth of restructuring, retrenchment, and also what is important for an SMME and a business owner, I just want to take us through from the beginning. So what March in review? So of course, March, we had the first COVID case um, in, in South Africa. We were then declared a national state of disaster, after which our brave president announced the 21-day lockdown. 21 days, we all scrambled, bought toilet paper, and then the 21-day lockdown was extended and extended and extended. But what did this mean for business owners? We were dealing with, with things we've never dealt with. In my 15 years of, of labor law experience, I dealt with things I've never dealt with. The word supervening impossibility. So just to take us back, what, what did employers do? Employers had to, when the announcement of lockdown, had to ensure that their staff th that could work from home, could work from home. They had to ensure that policies were put in place to ensure that the staff could actually work from home and the resources. We had to ensure that through the levels, are we allowed to work or not? So essential services were allowed to work in level five. Most companies were not allowed to work. Most employers could not work from home. Most employers had to shut their door. And that is where this concept of supervening impossibility came to light. And even with outside of the labor law fraternity, everybody was saying this word, it's almost like hot off the press. So what does supervening mean? Supervening impossibility means that an employer wishes to allow the employee to render service. The employee, of course, wishes to render service, but the, as a result of the directive, not one party were allowed to render service. So which would mean from a labor law perspective, that almost there were no rules. The employer could not allow the employee to work. The employee could not return for duty. Therefore, what we then had to implement was called a layoff, which was a unilateral layoff, whereby both parties could not allow to work and procedures were not followed. That is, if I look at the four type of employers that we've taken through this um, lockdown, where we had employer number one, which was essential services, I could work. But of course, I could not render services as I used to because majority of my clients were in levels 
4321 are not even able to operate. So employers had to introduce reduced pay, short time or a layoff. Then we had employers that could work from home, that maybe part of their employment or full their, all their staff could work from home. Whereby they then had to introduce policies, procedures, resources to ensure that their clients are still looked after. Then we've got clients that could partially work from home, whereby we had to implement short time reduced pay, half of the staff were laid off. And then of course the fourth part were employees that could not render services, whereby we had to implement either forced leave that could then be claimed back from TERS, UIF TERS, or employees on the no work, no play basis where we had to have a formal layoff. That then introduced the four imperatives, business imperatives, which firstly is safety first. This was all defense. We went into defend mode. I had to ensure that my, my employees are safe, that their families are kept safe, of course, to look after my clients so that I could have a business. The second aspect is business as unusual, business as usual. I had to ensure that I continue operating. I had to ensure that I've got SLAs in place and that I could still adhere to my SLA in place. We've got imperative number three, survival. Still defending, defending. I need to ensure that I'm prioritizing my business for survival. I have to ensure that my staff are kept safe. I have to ensure that I've got quality. Must my um, goods and services can be delivered to my clients. And then the fourth important imperative is where we now stop defending. We were now saying I need to start building my business of the future. I don't want to fight. I don't need to make the hard decisions to ensure that I have a business, to ensure that I've got something to be proud of when we enter out of our levels, that I've got a business for the future. So let's go through the four most important imperative. So number one, safety. Safety, safety. I think with um, the COVID and the pandemic hitting our country, we know that safety is the utmost important thing. It's the only way that we can stop the spread of the, the virus. So the directive from government has been very clear. Safety first. Ensure from a business perspective, if employees can work from home, ensure that they work from home. As a business, ensure you've put everything in place that we don't have as much individuals, employees, traveling, using public and, and, pub and transport, coming to the office. Of course, all the other strict compliance to protocols, 1.5 meter distancing, ensure that you've got staggered work, ensure that your staff are coming to work in a phased approach, not everybody at the same time. If I've got a big um, call center, I cannot necessarily adhere to the 1.5 rule, meter rule between. So ensure that half your staff are working from home or you would need to put them on short time or staggered work, shift systems, for example. Also that the return to work is done to ensure that the spread of virus is curbed. And then lastly, only companies that are allowed to operate through the levels are allowed to operate. We're currently in advanced level three. So level two and one companies are still not allowed to operate. Further, di the directive also made provision for special measures must be put in place. So as an employer, you need to ensure that you are putting special measures in place for all employees over the age of 60 and all employees with a known um, health condition, also called or known as a vulnerable employees. So special measures, what do I need to put in place? Can the employee work from home? Let them work from home. Can I isolate the individual? Then I need to isolate them from at, at home. PPE, can I give them special PPE? Of course, a mask or a visor and sanitizer is not PPE. Um, we've implemented contactless drivers, whereby the driver, the driver your driver, 
would then have contactless deliveries, so they don't come in contact. So special measures or any initiative to protect the vulnerable employee. Of course, every employer also must have a, a workplace plan where I introduce what measures have I put in place, which are my staff that are um, vulnerable, which employers are work from working from home, what's my phased-in approach, etc. And also, what am I doing to ensure that I'm keeping everybody safe? I've also need a designated COVID compliance officer at every workplace. What workplace rules are there? What am I doing if employers are contravening the rule? And then, of course, if an employee tests positive or shows any symptoms, they need to be placed on sick leave or special leave that can be claimed through UIF. The second imperative, business unusual. So I need to continue, but I'm still defending. Now I need to ensure that SLAs are adhered to, staff are kept safely, I'm delivering service. I've got rules and regulations in place for all my staff, even the staff working from home. So the normal rules, misconduct, performance doesn't fall away. As a line manager, I can't look off over my employee's shoulder. I don't know if they're getting out of bed at 8 o'clock. I've got an 8 o'clock team's meeting. My employee's not there. What do I need to do? So all the old rules and, relation and regulations are in place. If the employee does not click start or join meeting at 8 o'clock and there's a meeting, you could take action against the individual. Always use the um, example, if I get in my car in the morning and I don't have petrol, I'm going to be late for work. It's a contravention of my working hours. So that will be the same aspect if I click join meeting and I didn't look if I've got Wi-Fi. So that would be the same thing I need to inform my, my employer. Of course, with load shedding, that does put another spin on, on being able to, to log on to work. In terms of performance, as an employer, I would still adhere to the same performance requirements. If I need 50 calls to be made every day as a call centre, the same rules and regulations will apply. And as an employer, I'm allowed to take action then against the individual. So because the work environment or the new way of work is different, that doesn't mean that anything stops quality, service, turnaround, looking after my clients. But from an employer perspective, from a business unusual, if my staff is at work, I need to ensure that I'm looking after my employees so that they can look after your clients. The third imperative, ensuring survival. So here is now where I need to put temporary and permanent measures in place to ensure that the survival of my business. I need to prioritize my people because my people are my resources. They are the ones that are going to deliver to my clients. So again, keeping them safe, keeping them healthy, um, in terms of the new regulation that if somebody shows symptoms, they must be, be placed on sick leave. That's an individual that's not rendering services. So if I'm not keeping them healthy, I could have a workforce that's all sitting at home on sick leave, which is again a cost to the employer, but could hinder my, my delivery to my clients. Before any decision is made in terms of termination, of course I need to look at alternatives. What alternatives can I put in place to protect my business, to protect the employees and also to protect their employment. So measures I can put in place is reduce leave liability, um, sh shift systems, short time, reduced pay, a um, commission structure whereby there's no basic but the employee is then remunerated better on, the, on sales and services, sabbaticals, temporary layoff, um, alternative employment arrangements, Again, working from home, maybe working half day from home, whereby then again there is a, um, could be a cut in salary. With reduced work and short time, 
it doesn't mean that if I've entered into any agreement where my, my employee is now placed on reduced work because of operational reasons, that doesn't mean that the performance is reduced. So I would still expect or can expect 100% performance from my employees. But of course, what we need to focus on is that employees are looked after. And of course, what we need to focus on is that our clients are looked after. The third imperative, well, the final imperative, business of the future. So as I said earlier, now I'm stopping. I don't want to defend. I want to move forward. I want to have a business. I'm moving through the levels. I'm moving from level five, four, three, where we currently, we're not talking about months anymore. We don't refer to it as levels. So I'm now on level three. What do I need to do for my business? What do I need to do in terms of my staff? I've laid off half my staff. I need to bring those staff back. I can't keep them laid off. TERS, um, the TERS um, benefit has stopped. At the end of June, there is no TERS benefit. So I cannot rely on UIF. I need to now ensure that I'm now making decisions for my business. I need to ensure that I'm continuing my business of unusual and making hard decisions now. I need to ensure, and I know that I cannot rely on supervening impossibility. If I'm a level three business and all my clients are operating, or I'm, I, I, I don't have the level one or two to rely on, supervening impossibility doesn't exist. I cannot rely on a term. I need to now rely on the Labor Relations Act and ensure that I'm implementing procedures for the future. My rules and regulations. Do I have rules and regulations in place to protect the performance of my staff and the misconduct? Am I allowed to have hearings online? Can I have performance meetings online? Do my staff have the right resources, of course, to deliver the services? All of those things I have to look at. And of course, am my staff, are they being kept safe? Are they able to render services? So what does all of this have in common? What does survival, future planning have in common? So as per the topic of today, Section 189 of the Labor Relations Act, which talks about restructuring and talks about retrenchment. So everything that I need to plan will fall into the ambit of law, will fall into Section 189 as a vision by the Act. And what this means is before any decision is made, before any proposal is implemented, which would have an effect on the term and condition of employment, ignore supervening impossibility, it doesn't exist. Now I need to rely on what the Act says. Before any changes are made, there must be a meaningful joint consensus-seeking process. Not a negotiation, a process whereby me as the employer has an in-principle vision. Me as the employer has an operational requirement, and that could be economic, technical, or, um, or economic, tef technical or similar. So what I then need to do is, is have consensus on the appropriate measure to ensure that I'm avoiding termination, I'm mitigating the adverse effect. I'm ensuring that I'm changing the time so that when terms and conditions are implemented, that the, this is done in a fair process. What employers forget is that there is a cost in terms of restructuring. I cannot leave it too late. In terms of severance pay, notice pay, this is all paid, but the payment that must be made. I cannot agree out of paying severance pay. Then of course, there's another spanner. If I employ more than 50 employees and I intend to, or, or more than 10 people might be affected by my contemplated retrenchment, then we move into what's called a Section 189 capital A retrenchment procedure. And what that means is a timeline. I must consult for 60 days or a lease agreement is found earlier. 60 days consultation, which means 
That's two months of consulting with notice pay and severance pay, which I previously said I cannot agree out of. So that's what the employer will have to pay. And of course, the longer things take, we need to look at employees, morale of the employees, your clients that need to be serviced. So the longer we take as a, as a business to ensure that we're making the hard decisions, the more negative effect it would have on your business. Employees find out that there's these 1893 notices being issued. Employees find out that we're going to be retrenched or might be retrenched. Now we're consulting in a consensus-seeking manner. But of course, there's always the possibility that employees will be unhappy. So we need to ensure that from a business perspective, we're making decisions quickly to ensure that everybody know what the future is and that I can start looking at my business of the future. Of course, practical considerations. It would be an unfair termination in terms of procedure and substance if I do not consult properly. If my business rationale is not sound, I cannot enter into retrenchment consultation because I do not like certain people. It must be because of the position and there must be business rationale behind it. It might be that I'm making positions redundant. It might be that I'm making terms and conditions, changing terms and conditions in terms of maybe reducing the leave entitlement, of course, not less than the minimum, uh, reducing salaries, of course, not less than the national minimum wage, uh, maybe reducing work time, work area, commission, um, type of employment, bonuses, incentives, all of that as an employer, I'm entitled to change as long as a fair process is followed and as long as, of course, there's business rationale. Also need to ensure that I'm consulting with all the parties as per the Act. I'm consulting, I cannot enter into retrenchment consultation, issue notices to certain people, because that will be preempted. The selection criteria is part of my consultation envisioned for the future structure. So I need to ensure that I get agreement on selection criteria. If I can't get agreement, whatever is fair and objective. People's names aren't fair and objective. Um, LIFO is probably the most fair and objective to use, or skills, experience, disciplinary record, performance, if there is, of course, a fair performance process in place. And then what's the consequence of unfair dismissal? If I've got, um, if my principal vision is I need to reduce my staff complement by 10, I do not consult properly, these 10 employees, of course, have a right to fair labour practice, these 10 employees will refer to the CCMA, I could be awarded that I need to pay 10 10 employees 12 times 12 months. And of course, it's also referred to the Labour Court because more than two employees. So all of this, of course, have a big impact on business, on emotions, on staff, on morale. So it's important to ensure that when I make these decisions, I make it with empathy, I make it with an emotional aspect, but also ensuring that I'm ensuring the, fun the procedural aspect in terms of fairness. Um, just interesting, the Food and Allied Workers Union, FAWU, referred a case to the Labour Court now against SAB to ask that it's found that the procedural aspect is unfair in terms of the retrenchment, that they cannot consult over Zoom. This was dismissed by the Labour Court and the case was heard over Zoom. But it was found that you are allowed to consult over, over Zoom or Teams or any other means of um, technology. As long as there's a consensus seeking process, and as long, of course, all staff and employees that might be affected have the opportunity to make representations and to be party of the consultation. So lastly, what is happening on the ground? So yes, from a labour law paternity perspective, paternity, it is busy. The Department of Labour 
have introduced TERS. This, of course, has now come to an end. It was initially only set for three months. Um, TERS is dealing from URF, and that was for any employer that could not literally pay the employees, and the employees, the employer would then claim from TERS. After TERS, any employee that's currently laid off or on reduced work can claim through UIF for reduced pay. And then, of course, ensuring OHS compliance. Department of Health is very busy with ensuring OHS compliance, going to employers, looking at the workplace plans and ensuring that they are adhering to the directive. The unions, we need to now ensure that we're embracing collective bargaining. We need to ensure that we are now dealing with the unions as what they need to do. I always say that organised labour is better than unorganised labour. So ensure that you're meeting with your unions, ensure that we're now looking at collective agreements, getting joint consultation. We do not want a surge of industrial action and industrial unrest now. The CCMA and the Labour Court, also very busy. CCMA is dealing with a lot of Section 73 disputes, which means that employers have now not been paying their staff because of the layoff or because of reduced pay, but that some of these, these claims are below the minimum wage. The CCMA is facilitating capital A retrenchments and assisting employers through this consensus-seeking process. And of course, also they need to balance the effect of dispute resolution to ensure the safety of staff. All of the hearings are now either being done by at the employer's offices or they're being done online. We also know that CCMAs are being closed quite quickly when there is um, somebody that's positive. And I heard I, went, I was in a seminar yesterday where they said in future CCMA might continue to listen to cases online. So in closing, I think it's just important, the four imperatives, continue, and now to, of course, stop just fighting for survival. Let's just start building a business of the future. Let's make the decisions now. And whatever we do, let's ensure that it's fair and always implement employment justice. So just in closing, so the struggle you're in today is developing the strength for tomorrow. Thank you. Lauren, thank you so much. Um, many of the comments were really around, very informative. I think it's, for me, you know, there has to be a balance as well between what we need to do for the business, but also take care of our employees. And I think, you know, that the first point you make around safety first is, is really critical for me. I'm just going to start with a comment that came through towards the end, uh, where Chester asks, um, what about when you've just completed a Section 189 in December 2019, right? Um, and now due to COVID-19, uh, do you have to go through another one? Is there a similar procedure or what is it? Okay, good question. Yeah. Um, so the, yes, the procedure would be similar. The only thing that you would have to keep in mind is the threshold, the numbers of threshold. Okay. So as I said earlier, a capital A retrenchment is if I employ more than 50 employees and I intend or my, my in principle vision is more than 10 people might be affected. Yeah. So the retrenchment of December, those numbers will have to be included in the numbers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it goes up to 200, so more than 200 employees, 20, more than 330. So Chester, if you, for example, terminated five people in December and you employ more than 50 but less than 200, and you would now, as a result of COVID and operational requirements, need to look at maybe reducing six, that would be over mm. the threshold. So that would then be a capital A retrenchment. Okay, cool. Um, just I hope that answers your question. I'm just going to turn it a bit, Lauren, because I think Tulani asked a very interesting question. And I'm going to ask you to put on sort of a business lens as well as the sort of, sure. let's call it the IR, e, e, ER lens. How do we avoid retrenchments and maybe make them a shift from a business perspective? How do we avoid? Yeah. Whew, um, 
Does this talk about you know business of the future? Yeah. So, I mean, there's many ways. I think we've we've become very. I'm not saying we. I think, uh, and I'm not uh, addressing everybody, mm. but I think things towns have been tough, mm. but also towns have been good. So I think in most cases, employers become, we become complacent. And I'm talking from a business perspective. And that a retrenchment isn't always only negative. Yes, the effect of a retrenchment is negative. Of course, people's livelihoods are affected. But a retrenchment doesn't need to be implemented because of financial poverty, no profits made. I can also implement it to have a better business, a more efficient business. That's also why technology, if that's brought in, um, could result in a retrenchment. So, how to how to minimise it? Let's mm. Get more more revenue. Let's focus on get more strategies. Maybe mm. include my staff members and strategize, and maybe ensure that all my levels are strategizing. Uh, maybe it's time to change my business model. Mm. Maybe it's time to go look for different clients. Um, I think we've also seen which type of industries are going to are thriving mm. currently. Um, so, from a business perspective, um, myself took a hard look at the type of industries and did a very strong risk adjustment strategy and then change our marketing. So currently, let's do focus industry marketing because we know the industries that would need us. So, Lauren, I'm, I'm smiling because, you know, last week we spoke about marketing as well. Mm. How do we really get into this? And I think the week before that, we also spoke about how do you pivot your business because, and I think it really talks about this, this movement from your, you know, let's call it number three into number four. How do we keep our doors open? Let's stabilize and then what does this future look like? Mm. Um, do any of us truly know what the future looks like? No one does, right? Um, but we can only put our best foot forward. Yeah. Um, I like when you talk about the strategies. Um, you know, the strategies that we, we will implement now, we'll never know if they're successful. We only know that post hoc to a large extent. So thanks for that. Um, a more of a technical question from Oba King, who asks, you know, what is the link between bus a business rescue plan amid restructuring and retrenchments? Business rescue plan? Yeah. What's the length? Mm. Um, uh, or the link. The link, the link okay. Yeah. So, even if a company, and I hope I'm going to answer Oprah King's uh, question, even if a company volunteers, oh, I don't like the word yeah. volunteer, for business rescue yeah. liquidation or voluntary liquidation, there's still a requirement in terms of law. So, if I understand correctly, so even if I now as a business have no other option and I need to maybe sequestrate or apply for liquidation, I still have a requirement in terms of staff and the LRA. So the Labor Relations Act supersedes all other acts. So I would still need to ensure that I enter into the retrenchment okay. process. Okay. If the business rescue overlaps, then of course in terms of severance, etc., then there would be a different um, discussion point because the, the liquidators will then take over and say, you, you must be paid first in terms of your creditors. Mm. But from a business perspective, the LRA will always start first. We need to ensure oh. that we start the process from a fairness perspective. Got it. So what you're saying, Lauren, is, is fairness and then we start with that, Correct. the LRA. Yeah. Um, Elijah asks an interesting question because I think, interesting for me <laughs> specifically, because I think it's, it's you know, just before we started this session, I asked someone, do we cancel the year 2020, right? Oh. <laughs> I mean, many Please. of us would probably would like to do that, right? Uh, but he asked, you know, with COVID-19 impacting businesses, how will this impact retirement age policies and planning? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the time is still running for me, right? Yeah. I'm getting older, <laughs> even yeah, though we're here, right? Um, so. 
so from a legal perspective, I mean, retirement age is stipulated in terms of Pension Fund Act, in terms of Pension Fund, fund rules, retirement rules, and also the um, sector that employees belong to. So from a legal perspective, I had heard no rumors. From an employer perspective, of course, we need to ensure that we implement fair policy and ensure that we are consistent in implying policy. So if my age is 65, I need to keep it at 65. Um, I would, as a business owner, speak to my policyholders and see if there can be a change in terms of the certain business policy. But to give an overall answer, 65 will be the age, and there wouldn't be a change in terms of cancelling 2020, yeah. even though I also want to cancel 2020. <laughs> I think um, many of us sure. would love to cancel 2020. Remember, God, um, into this year thinking this is this, <laughs> this is the is year. year, right? Um, Reevaluating all our yeah. New Year's resolutions at the same <laughs> time. Lauren, uh, just the last question, and, and I think um, yeah, this will probably change. But Pumla asks: Essential service businesses, right, have employment opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. um, for candidates in different provinces, uh, will they be, you know, considered even in this COVID-19 period to travel with all the travel restrictions between provinces? Yes, definitely. So, yes, correct. Um, so, in terms of the latest directive that was passed, it's been so many, 25th of June, um, it did state that employees can travel, travel per over provinces. There is a permit in the directive for work purposes. Correct. Yes, so definitely, but so you would need a permit. So I could get employment somewhere else. Yes, perfect, definitely. Perfect, and yeah. I could travel. Lauren, thank you so much. Thank I think you. everyone's been really saying this has been really informative. It's been really informative to me as well, and, and, and I've learned a lot. I think fairness is, is really important there. I think, you know, like you ended off with collective bargaining, but really about this meaningful joint consensus um, through this process. And I think we must be human as well in this thing and, and understand what, where we are. So thank you, Lauren. Thank you to everyone for joining us this afternoon again. Please remember, if you've got any questions, please email them through to smmehelp at gibbs.co.za. And please join us next week when we will be having Stephen Zwane talking about operations. Thank you for joining us and see you next week.